originally a cheap, plentiful, and man-made substitute for ivory, celluloid, one of the earliest of plastics, made its way into the manufacture of novelties. But it had one serious defect. It could burn. Welcome to the Kill It With Fire podcast, where each episode, a group of creative practitioners and academics from different disciplines takes a look at cult, neglected or overlooked motion pictures in the last few decades of celluloid, when movies were films. I need women, I need drugs, I need drink, I need something, man! It was supposed to be an ordinary prisoner transfer. I'm a federal agent and this man is my prisoner. So, brother, I am just like you, a prisoner of the system. But this... What can I bring you? How about a hacksaw? <laughs> Only kidding. <laughs> ...was no ordinary prisoner. I went and slipped some acid in your mineral water. What did you say? Hey, don't you worry. I'm not going to let you trip alone. I dropped a couple of tabs myself. In the next two days, John Buckner, FBI, oh, cute, will have his identity stolen. You know who you look like? You look like me. John Buckner, FBI. His freedom taken away. Wait till they find out how I escaped from the feds. His career destroyed. John, we don't like to look foolish. And he owes it all to one man. Huey Walker. You know what your problem is? You like me, but you won't admit it. 20 years ago, he wanted to change the world. It takes more than going down to your local video store and renting Easy Rider to be a rebel. Today, he'll settle for just one guy. They flushed my head down a toilet. Oh, yeah, well, blame me for everything. Dennis Hopper, Kiefer Sutherland. Flashback. Once we get out of the 80s, the 90s are going to make the 60s look like the 50s. A Fred from the 80s is taking a fugitive from the 60s on a little trip, or vice versa. That's the tagline for the film that we're discussing today, which is Flashback, directed by Franco Amuri in 1990. Um, shall we have a round of introductions? Uh, Pete, this was your choice of film. Would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, my name's Peter True, uh, writer, lecturer... Uh, watcher of films and rememberer of films through this uh, this podcast. Well, I'm glad you say that because you you remembered this one, which I'd completely forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, well, we'll come on to first encounters with it later. I think that's something we'll talk about a bit later. But I'd utterly forgotten about this one until you mentioned it. Mark, uh, like yeah, I'm oh. I'm Mark Hall. Um, I'm I'm the face of the podcast, being the youngest one here. I think. Um, but- by many years. Yes, by many, many years. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, student, writer, um, that's about it. That's, I all, I that's, that's all I have. <laughs> that's, all she, that's all she wrote. Yeah. <laughs> that's enough, hey. babe. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> less than that. Um, AD, would you like to go next? Yeah, I'm Adrian Mills, uh, lecturer, raconteur, bon vivant. An all-round podcaster extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> or I something like that. So. Yeah, that, there you go. That, that's me. I teach games. <laughs> uh, I'm Paul Lewis. Polymath. It's polymath and cinephile. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet and leave it at that. Um, So, uh, flashback. Pete, do you want to provide the synopsis? This was your choice of film. So you can have the honour, my good sir, of of (laughs) synopsizing uh, flashback. Well, the the tagline says a lot of it, really. So we've we've got... uh, That's a cop-out. Well, no. (laughs) There was a... 
there was a comma there or, or some you've sort got of some of the work. <laughs> um so <clears throat> you've got a um a sort of aging forgotten hippie um Dennis Hopper which you know I mean is is fantastic casting um and he's being taken in by a young uh yuppie um FBI agent um for for a crime he committed 20 years ago um and uh, yeah fun ensues on the way back on the way to prison events sorry events and chicanery and and, and yes. so on take place don't they of course yeah <laughs> it's just... in its most heightened sense well i was just thinking as we was going through, as i was saying that um it, it reminded me of, obviously of the um last detail with uh, jack nicholson and it, it's a a very, but it's a very different film a very different version but um he visits uh, they, well, spoilers they get they get him to visit a prostitute don't they um, yeah, yeah. and who, who plays it's randy quaid isn't it right it just reminded i thought is it, is it carol kane the same person but it's not is it it's the same a similar sort of quirky female um sort of character actor isn't it i think yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who plays that role in um, The Last Detail. I mean, I think the reference point for Flashback, The Last Detail, of course, is is uh, a valid reference point, but the most immediate reference point is probably Midnight Run, isn't it? I think mm. the Charles Grodin and um, uh, Robert De Niro picture uh, where yeah, De Niro she, plays the bail, bail yeah, bombs. Just, but... just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, the, the other sort of reference point for this, I think, is um, there was a Cheech Marin and Eric Roberts film, wasn't there, where they the placed sort of hippie stoners that, that wake up, uh, fall asleep I, in the sixties. I'm sorry, was... I have to, I have to interrupt you. It is Carol Kane. Is it Carol Kane? Yeah. Well, there we go then. I like Carol Kane. I always like seeing her on the screen. I think she's just yeah. a sort of a nice presence. And uh, as I say, say, I've completely forgotten about this. And, and uh, when I watched it and Carol Kane sort of appeared, I thought, oh, it's Carol Kane. How nice. Um, yeah, the, the, so the what che- a connection. It is. Yeah, the Cheech Marin film that I was thinking of was uh, Rude Awakening. Uh, Cheech Marin and Eric Roberts, two hippies that wake up yeah, after a, sort of a sort of a blackout in uh, LA in 1989. I mean, the, the other sort of film of that era that this uh, 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 seems to uh, take inspiration from is the, that Sidney Lumet picture, Running on Empty, with uh, River Phoenix, where his parents are um, fugitives, aren't they? Um, uh, radicals, uh, domestic terrorists, or however you want to spin it. Um, but uh, that's a, a more serious kind of look at the long-term effects of the counterculture. But there's quite a few films of that. We'll come on come on to that a bit later. I think that looked at the the sort of the impact, the fallout, the counterculture, and the evolution from the hippie to the yuppie, if you like. Mm. Um, but we'll we'll come on to that a bit later. But thank you for the synopsis, Peter. It was very good. <laughs> Sorry, um, it sparked off a, a random um, um, sort of rabbit hole of uh, Carol Kane being a prostitute in a similar-ish film. Well, she's not a prostitute in this, to be fair. No, no, um, no, 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 no. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the cat... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Mark, what was that? She kind of is. Oh, no, she, she's a hippie. No, she's not. That's yeah, free love, no. man. And oh, she's they are picking the wrong person. Something. You are, you're thinking of the woman yeah, on the train. You're I'm thinking of the girl on the train. Well, we'll talk about that a bit later because uh, that seems quite problematic. But we'll come on to that a bit later. I think. Yeah, I think it's the only but... other woman in the film. Just a little. Yeah. You are right there. Yeah, that is true. Um, mm. uh, so, what about first encounters with the film, uh, Peter? Would you like to go first? 
Well, um, again, the, the, these films that are coming up, the ones that I've seen before, uh, they tend to be these things that um, I, I sort of just sort of would leave the video um, re- um, recording um, all night because you know I, I was I was young. I would I would go to bed early uh, after doing my homework, and then I'd I'd put the the video on and long play, and then and then I'd just sort of see what was on there, and and this was one of those things, and. Um, and I remember just being taken aback um, completely because at a stage, maybe still am, where I, I was sort of a middle ground of knowledge about films where I just sort of knew some bits, but I didn't know all, you know, who directed everything and all this sort of thing. But here was Dennis Hopper, who was in Easy Rider, playing a washed up sort of hippie that people had forgotten about. And here's me as a teenager thinking, oh, no, no one appreciates like Easy Rider and, and the rebellion of the 60s and stuff like that. Yeah, I did know what I was on about, but, you know, I was, I was feeling a little bit of it myself. Like, you know, you feel disenfranchised and stuff with everything, don't you, when you're a teenager? And I was just like blown away that uh, it was art imitating life and stuff. And, and everything was here that the world moves on. And um, Dennis Hopper is, is playing this uh, this ex-icon you know yeah and I think we'll probably come on to the the Hopper connection later but uh, I I think really as well when you look at this in in terms of Hopper's body of work I mean I know my mum particularly was a a bit of an aging hippie and and, uh, you know at the time uh, she loved Easy Rider and um, you know it's one of those films that I was exposed to quite quite young I think probably through a TV screen I would imagine that I would sit down and watch this yeah and uh, and um, uh, but she became very sort of disenfranchised with Hopper at some point in the 80s because he came out, didn't he, as a Republican? He came out with his support of Reagan and Bush. And, and, and this <laughs> film, kind of, it feels a bit like... Um, very That's very much a part of the texture of this film, that transformation that his character undergoes. He sort of walks mm. in as, as Hopper from the 60s and comes out as Hopper of the 90s. You know, this guy that played the, the villain in Speed and, you know, with the slick hair and... and yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I will admit I'm an unabashed, unashamed um, fan of Harper's work. You know, regardless of his, uh, you know, his, his uh, the way that he reinvented himself in, in the '80s politically and so on. Um, but he, I mean, the other thing that happened to him in, in the '80s was that he sort of cleaned up his act, didn't he, in the early uh, '80s? Uh, there was that incident with the Russian dynamite death chair in '83. And after that, he went into rehab and was in and out of psychiatric um, institutions, I believe. And and uh, and um, he sort of came out at the end of the 80s sober, but sort of a different Dennis Hopper to the one that had entered that decade, I think. But we'll, we'll probably talk about this later, I think. Well, I think that's part of the, the thing of the film as well, because a lot of people won't get that impact, you know, because I, I was obsessed with Easy Rider and stuff like that. But other people would would see him from Speed or or Space Truckers and you know stuff like that. You know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think if you come to this film and some of the Hopper films after you've seen Super Mario Brothers, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) It's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? I think. Um, Ad, uh, what was your first encounter with Flashback? Okay, so uh, my first encounter goes back some time, sort of thing. It was about quarter past one yesterday afternoon. I never heard of it, never heard of it, never heard of it, never seen it, have no history with this film whatsoever. So yeah. I, I I saw we were doing flashback. I was like, okay. Um, my only thing with flashback is the old Mega Drive game, um, which I presume this wasn't a version of. 
Um, so I thought, you know, what, I'll, I'll avoid everything. So I don't know anything about it. I don't even know who was in it or anything. So I just, I just stuck it on and watched it. So my first encounter with it was absolutely, you know, clean slate. I had no, no preconception going in of what this was going to be. I didn't even know what it was. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have no, no history with this whatsoever sort of thing. And, and so just let it wash over me yesterday afternoon. So that's, yeah, I don't really have much to add to this sort of historical view because I don't, I don't really have one, I'm afraid. That's that's fine, but flashback video game—that's that's a flashback to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having flashbacks to flashback. Yeah, um, that was a good game, Mark. Yeah, Mark, your first encounter with flashback. Well, I, I can go a little bit better than than Aidy actually. Mine was eight o'clock yesterday evening. Um, <laughs> Even more recent. <laughs> very, very much more recent. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, I'd, I'd not heard of it before. Um, I think it's probably um, indicative of my my young age that the first thing I thought when it when you know when it started was, oh, it's Jack Bauer. Um, well, yes, yeah. I mean, that's a, re- a reference point when you've seen Twenty Four and you watch this afterwards. You think, oh, he's a young FBI agent. Isn't yeah, Jack, Jack Bauer's Adventures, the young Jack Bauer. <laughs> Jack Bauer, the Jack Bauer Adventures. Yeah, yeah, like the Indiana Jones Chronicles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 24 was the first thing I'd ever saw Kiefer Sutherland in, so he'll, he'll only ever be Jack Bauer to me. Yeah, I think that role so so defined. I mean, of course, you know, Sutherland had done a lot before then. Oh, but yeah, that, role, that role so defined, because he played it for so many years, didn't he? Oh, yeah. As well, that was the other thing. Ages. You know, about 10 years. And yeah. So, so much of that era as well, I think. Well, no, uh, yeah. yeah, so first time last night. I thought I did, I, I did quite enjoy it, though, to be fair. Yeah. I think... Um, I think Huey Walker, obviously, Hopper's character, he's he's now my spirit animal. <laughs> not 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 because I'm rebellious or I want freedom, but just because he's just a bit weird, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah. Will you become Will you become a capitalist by the end of the uh, the, the podcast, Mark? Do you think? I hope so. Sacrifice all your values and 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 become a money making machine. Ah, well, you I don't, don't know. Well, because I don't have any values. Oh well, I mean spoilers towards the end, but he 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 is making money, but at least he's buying the land, isn't he? But it's become he's he's maybe gonna go back to being a hip. I don't know. Oh, I don't so, know. Token, tokenism. tokenism. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> that's like that's like Steve Jobs saying, "I'll plant some trees." <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be quite McDonald's impressive. Saying, yeah, yeah quite impressive be... for Steve Jobs now, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd, uh, that's true. I think if Steve Jobs said it now, I'd be scared more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they, might, they might grow, they might grow some trees out of him. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, this is taking a, a dark turn. That's <laughs> yeah. a black humor. Well, I think as, as well with saying about the twenty-four and and, and Keith Sutherland is 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 the is the flip side of that Dennis Hopper casting because yeah. you you've got Keith Sullivan who was like you know Lost Boys. And uh, um, what was the other thing? Uh, young guns, you know, sort of re- rebellious characters and things. And again, people would have maybe come to this this film thinking, "Oh, wow, he's playing straight, you know, uh, uh, by the book sort of uh, company man sort of thing." And it would have been quite a, a again a shock for for people watching the film. Yeah, I mean, just before this, he'd played in Renegades, didn't he? Where he'd played, was he an FBI agent in Renegades with Lou Diamond Phillips? I can't remember. Um, I but certainly it was some sort of lawman, wasn't he? I think. That, and uh, that but, I, mean, <laughs> but the, um, <clears throat> I mean, the scene where he sits and watches those home movies in in the commune, 
and well, we we it, we realised that it's revealed that Sutherland was yeah. his real name is Free and is the child of hippies and and despite all his anti hippie sentiments, and he sits and watches those home movies and cries and weeps and I mean that's really touching. I mean up, up to that point the film's been sort of quite comic, hasn't it? Broadly comic, and then all of a sudden you get this quite touching scene, and it's all about sort of the lot. The lost innocence, if you like, of that that era, the counterculture era. But when you look at think about Sutherland and his parentage, and you think about his um, his youth, you know, um, that's very much the kind of the role that he was in, wasn't it? His father, of course, was Donald Sutherland, and, and uh, mm. you know, um, such a countercultural icon, and and um, course, you know, yeah. and and I, I think he sort of went from place to place in his youth as well, didn't he? Um, but anyway, uh, I, I, my first encounters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, with Paul. the film. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It all flows naturally, doesn't it? It's good if it does. Um, I, I, I was, I was sure I'd seen this at the cinema. I was absolutely when you mentioned it, and I went, "Flashback, not Danny Supper when he's the hippie." And I was absolutely certain I'd seen this at the cinema, and I would have been probably about twelve or thirteen or thereabouts. And um, but I counted them because I've, I, I, I looked online, and I don't think it had a UK cinema release, and I must have seen it <clears throat> maybe a year or two later, either on video. Um, because it was released on VHS in the UK, and um, uh, or uh, possibly via a TV screening, but you know, for some reason, in my head, uh, you know, when you mentioned it, um, I thought, well, um, you know, uh, I thought I'd seen it in the cinema, but uh, I hadn't, I can't have seen it in thirty years, I would say. Um, Certainly, um, you know, it'd be the early 90s the last time I saw it. I've only seen it once, I think, before. Um, but when I started watching it, it came back to me. It felt it felt very familiar. Um, so it must have stuck in my mind at the time. And I think probably because, I, I you know, I was raised, you know, my mum uh, uh, sort of insisted I watched uh, Easy Ride. And I'd watched quite a few Hopper films, um, you know. Um, even at that point, I think by the, by the time I would have seen this, I'd, I'd have watched Blue Velvet and... Uh, and uh, out of the blue, I saw about out of the blue, uh, great film. Out of the blue, I wrote about that when I did my master's degree about twenty years ago. But uh, um, I saw out of the blue when it was shown on Channel Four as part of the Red Triangle series. You know, out of the blue, where Hopper plays a an, an aging hippie trucker um, who abuses his daughter, and at the end of the picture, she uh, she she murders him, doesn't she? She uh, commits murder suicide. Um, really powerful film. But I'd seen a lot of Hopper pictures before. Uh, I saw flashback. I would have seen flashback. So that's probably why it stuck in my memory so much, um, because Hopper's so so trading on that persona, um, you know, um, uh, that screen persona of his. I think in this picture. Um, but in terms of contemporary reviews, did anybody dig up anything, you know, from the reviews at the time? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, Ebert liked it. <clears throat> He did, um, yeah. He, he that liked it, but the the other one. So he, you know, he quite enjoyed what it was about, sort of thing. But I think the other ones, um, were, yeah, were a bit more like it starts okay, but then you know falls apart towards the end. Yeah, I uh, mean, with Vincent, the other ones I've read. Vincent Camby at the New York Times said about thirty yeah. minutes before it's over, flashback begins to go to pieces, like someone who has overdosed on carrot juice and organic marzipan. Nice little dig at the hippie movement there, I think, in that review. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you like that, Mark? Organic I, I like uh, That's going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs> organic marzipan. <laughs> Mark yeah. Hall, carrot juice and organic marzipan. 
I like marzipan. I don't care if it's organic or not. It doesn't make any difference to me. You know. I, I tend to agree though. I I did think the third act was a little bit not you know not as good as the rest of the film. There's a lot of tonal shifts. I think that's that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think with especially the whole you know train scene for me at the end it just it became. I don't think I've ever used this phrase, but it came a bit of a brouhaha, didn't it? Well, I think. I mean, you know, one of the points I've got in my notes a bit later is is the centrality of the the trains. Um, You know, and how poetic that structure is, because it begins with that. Well, it doesn't begin, but uh, early on in the film, there's the train journey in which um, John's taking Huey on the train. Of course, Huey's notoriety hinges on this this incident in which, uh, in 1968, where he allegedly decoupled the train carrying Spiro Agnew, who was then the vice president. Um, and, um, and that was actually, he reveals to John that that was something that, that was done by a drunken railroad engineer, I think, doesn't he say? Yeah. Um, and Huey just takes the credit for it because he's, he's sort of, you know, it made him a dude, if you like. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the picture, in the in the at the climax, rather, rather than directly at the end, before the denouement, in the climax, he decouples the train with a carriage that he's on, which then explodes. Spoilers, explodes in a yeah. fa- spectacular fashion, um, almost like a sort of, you know, this is this is the end, the definitive end of the hippie thing, and. Um, uh, and and that's the payoff after all those years, isn't it? That, that, so it begins on a train, it ends on a train in the climax. Yeah, the, I appreciate that, and I liked the, <clears throat> the the sort of the callback nature of it. It just I just think that they probably could have done it a bit, I know, a bit less maybe a bit less slapstick maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think, yeah. I think well, with, I suppose... with 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 obviously you've got the the two character shifts, haven't you? Of of um. Of Walker and uh, and Buckner, who was who have essentially sort of swapped characters, haven't they? They do, and, yes, yeah. And you've been with them along their journeys, and and you're starting to, you know, really relate to them and feel and feel for them. And then it all just descends into, you know, like a, a sort of Three Stooges kind of thing. And I just thought, well, I, was, I, was I was just going to say, was say looking at stuff, maybe. Yeah, looking at the directors of the films, which isn't extensive, you know, you think. He's he's done a film with a monkey, you know. So it's all of a sudden it's like it it, it become it starts to make sense that he might be making films that are a little bit more slapsticky and less serious. I believe it. He's done a film with a monkey. And, and, <laughs> and also David Lowry, the guy who wrote it, sort of thing, would go on to write Money Train as well. So yeah, yeah. Snipes yeah. and Snipes and um, Woody Harrelson on it. That guy loves trains. Um, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> just in terms of some of the other reviews, uh, Ab- you mentioned Abert, AD, and um, Abert seemed quietly surprised with it in his review, I thought. And he says that the phrase that he uses is the film itself is a pleasant surprise, deeper and more original than the formula that the trailer seems to promise. I think that I, I would sort of agree with that. I think, you know, it's quite a, 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 the premise of it is quite formulaic. You know, when you think of uh, it, 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 it's sort of midnight run. It's sort of the odd couple, you know, on the lamb. It's it, it's sort of the defiant ones, isn't it? You know, that Sydney Poitier, Tony Curtis picture. Um, but I think it's given a bit of depth by the casting um, of uh, uh, um, Hopper and uh, and Sutherland, particularly Hopper, I think, and Carol Kane, of course, when she comes in. 
Carol Williams said in his review that Dennis Hopper appearing as an ageing radical in handcuffs is somehow just sad for those who remember the actor's rebellious politics and spirit of creative invention and easy ride. And that seems to be the general tone, I think, of a lot of the reviews, that the, the contemporary reviews that I looked at. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of, uh, I know that was the, my mum's feelings about Hopper at that, at that point in his career. Um, we mentioned uh, Franco and Murray's work with monkeys. Um <laughs> Yeah, for which he is known. Um, I, I think it's in terms of personnel. Uh, uh, Murray only made two American films, didn't he? I, I do believe there was this and, and Monkey Trouble with uh, Thora Birch and Harvey Keitel, and what a terrible film that was. And um, uh, but before that, he, he'd made uh, two features in Italy. There was um, Il, Il Ragazzo uh, del Pony Express, uh, which I don't know anything about that to be honest with you. I can't find any information about it. There's, there's not even <clears throat> any reviews on. Um, IMDb or Letterboxd or anything like that. Um, certainly, I've never seen it. And Da Grande, which was uh, uh, the inspiration for Big. I didn't know if you knew that. You know, Big, the, oh, the right. Tom yeah, Hanks picture. Yeah, it was inspired by this Italian film that Amuri made called Da Grande, where there's a, a child wishes himself as an adult, essentially. And um, uh, I, I wonder if that was his entry into Hollywood, that, you know, Da Grande mm. was the inspiration for Big. And, and, you know, somehow that got him into sort of making these uh, two Hollywood pictures. Um, this one and the flashback and um, Monkey Trouble. And then after that, he went back to Italy and it was TV, like yeah. Italian TV, which is, um, I, I will admit, I've not seen any of his, uh, I've seen the Grande many years ago, but, uh, you know, his, his subsequent Italian uh, TV stuff. Um what about David Luffery? Does he, do you know about David? I mean, you mentioned Adi, I think he wrote Money Train. He, he did. Wrote, I as... mean, pre- yeah, previous to that, he'd written, um, I mean, his biggest film before that was the uh, uh, the, uh, the Risible um, uh, Star Trek V, uh, The Final Frontier. Yeah. So he'd done the screenplay for that sort of thing, which I think, all told, is probably the worst of the Star Trek films. Um, so, you know, it's the one that uh, Shatner directed, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, and but previous to that as well, he'd also done the quite interesting uh, Dreamscape. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers Dreamscape. I remember Dreamscape. Um, yeah. It's with, a, um, just Dennis, was that Dennis Quaid? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Christopher Plummer, I think. Um, uh, let me just have a quick look. De- yeah, Dennis Quaid, Christopher, Max von Sydow, mm. and um, I'd kind of forgotten about this. I, I do. I remember having seen uh, Dreamscape when I was younger. I think it was one of those video films you kind of rented. Um, but um, but this, this this plot sounds, you know, vaguely familiar. Um, uh, experiment with the use of dream sharing technology and is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind hmm. of the U.S. president. Um, yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Christopher Nolan might have seen this at a young mm. age. Yeah, that's one of those pictures. When I saw Inception, I, I thought uh, you can see Dreamscape bubbling away in it. I think. Yeah, I, I thought so. I I completely forgotten about Dreamscape, but uh, so yeah. So that Larry had done those beforehand, um, which you know, you know, and then he, he did uh, he did flashback. Then he went on to do sort of you know a couple of um, sort of high concept, I guess, um, action films with the th- he wrote the, did the Three Musketeers again with Sutherland, in, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, uh, and then he did Money Train and did a, a version of uh, uh, Tom and Hook, uh, Huckleberry Finn, or Tom Sawyer. Um, and then I don't know. I, I don't know much about him. I couldn't find much about him, sort of thing. But I, then there's a big old gap in his writing career, sort of thing, between '95 and 2008. And he comes back in 2008 and writes the same film five times. 
Well, he, uh, he wrote he wrote Lakeview Terrace, which was directed by Neil LeBute, the playwright. And yeah. uh, I know LeBute's quite controversial. I've got a lot of time for LeBute. I've read quite a few of his plays. But, um, and, a, uh, but he did Obsessed, Penthouse North, The Intruder and Fatal, which all seem to focus around sort of, you know, home intrusion, neighbours, you know, people, you know, being trying to sort of you know someone being uh, stalked or obsessed by you know another another character they seem very very similar when i looked at them and kind of from what i remember of them and I, I was wondering whether there was something in his you know in his personal life between 95 and 2008 where something happened yeah i mean i don't know a lot about him i, I, I do know like i say about lakeview terrace i, I, I was assuming that lebute wrote that to be honest but I, I was surprised when i, I sort of looked and it was credited to um lafree um penthouse north is, is an interesting one, and I, I I reviewed that reviewed the British Blu-ray release of that about uh, when it came out about um, six or seven years ago, about, about 2014 I think it was, and I I, I called it in my review of that a, a modest triumph, for, a, a largely a throwback to a, a more simple era of uh, era of thrillers, but a familiar narrative that's fleshed out with some interesting thematic content. It's quite an interesting film that because that's Mich- Michelle Monaghan plays a photographer, a war photographer, a combat photographer who's uh, blinded in an incident in Afghanistan. Um, uh, she's not quite convincing as a combat photographer, but then she comes back and she's th- she's um, uh, um, threatened by Michael Keaton. Um, mm. um, and there's, there's a bit of shades of that yuppie in peril, you know, the Pacific Heights uh, Michael Keaton picture, uh, where he plays a, a sort of a tenant in that house that's being rented out by um, uh, Matthew Modine and... Um, uh, when Harry met Sally, um, oh, and they, yeah, yeah, pretty sure it's McGrine. And uh, but there's a bit of that, and there's also a bit of um, uh, wait until dark, you know, the the Audrey Hepburn picture where she's she's been terrorized, blind woman terrorized in a home by um, Alan Arkin, isn't it? Uh, and also see no evil with Mia Farrow. So that penthouse, not worth checking out if you've not seen it. Uh, it's also known as blindsided. But yeah, I vividly remember that because, I, like I say, I was, I was asked to review that for somewhere about six or seven years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, it, it, a lot of these are variations on a similar theme, aren't they, AD? And it's, mm, it's sort yeah. of, uh, is, is it something that's relevant to Love or is it something that, that is just sort of exploiting a, a trend? Um, but the, the, the well-written, I mean, Lakeview Terrace, I know it's a hot-button film designed to provoke... Uh, sort of debate and uh, you know certainly I'm not I'm not going to get on board necessarily with it ideologically but uh, it, it's a damn, damn well written film and and Penthouse North is as well um, and I think this is but I, I think the, the, the problem that I have with flashback perhaps to some extent is that the dialogue's not always convincing mm. do you know what I mean it's a little bit sort of it's a little bit too on the nose it's a little bit too clunky um, but anyway, maybe we'll come on to that a bit later. I was I did surprised. Miss, I did, I did, sorry, I did miss an early, another big early one he wrote out, which was Passenger 57, which was... Um, uh, Wesley Snipes again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I saw that in the pictures as well. And Money Train. It's just another diehard film, isn't it? Passenger 57. It is, yeah. There, there was Terminal Velocity, wasn't there? And, and you know, there, there were quite... There was um, that... Um, Executive yeah, Under Siege, Under Siege 2, yeah. Ad Infinitum, um, sudden, sudden Death with Van Damme, wasn't there? Um, <laughs> but I, I was surprised when I looked at the personnel involved in Flashback, and it's photographed by Stefan Zapsky, who shot uh, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Edward, yeah. for Tim Burton. 
<clears throat> they also photographed last last exit to Brooklyn and Charles Play Two of all things. Um, I, was bit, I was a bit surprised at that, you know, uh, yeah. that this was photographed by him because it is a nicely shot picture. I think this one. Um, I mean, we talked about Sutherland. You mentioned, I think, Pete Sutherland's prior work with um, Lost Boys and, and Young mm. Guns. Uh, vividly for me. I remember Sutherland from that era at close range. You know that picture with uh, Sean Penn and Sean Penn and Christopher Walken, isn't it? Um, sort of a neon world. <clears throat> Sutherland a year before this had been touted to play Robin in Tim Burton's Batman. Another Tim Burton connection, but that character was written out of the final script. Probably given what Joel Schumacher did about ten years later, that was for the best, really. Um, I don't think I could picture Sutherland as Robin. Uh, I think I can. To be I honest, think I can, but back then, when he's when he's that younger version, yeah, I think I, you know, coming off the back of Lost Boys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see him in that era. Um, as, as I think probably might, maybe because you 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 see Sutherland as Jack Bauer, you know, seeing yeah. him as is a bit of a step, isn't it? <laughs> I've seen obviously some of his earlier work and when he's been young, but no matter how young he is in whatever I see him, he always looks like a forty-year-old man to me. Well, this this was my kind of issue with Hopper. I think when I saw this was that Hopper always looked like Hopper when he was about 50. I, that was kind of my sort of vision. So when I watched Easy Rider as a youth, I sort of thought, oh, this is that guy that's, the, you know, the, 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 the older bloke with a, by the end of the 80s. He, he, he had taken on that appearance that he has at the end of this film, hadn't he? With yeah. the, you know, the and, short and, and, and don't forget as well, he was, um, you could see him as well because uh, from when he was in Stand By Me as Ace Merrill. Yeah. Kind of that, 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 you could see that, you know, uh, the sort of rebel that yeah, I could actually, yeah, I could quite see him as Robin actually. I think I could, yeah, yeah. think we were yeah. in those films. I yeah. suppose it depends on the Robin, doesn't it? Because it, it does, if, yeah, there's it, different Robins, yeah. Yeah, is it if I couldn't see him as a Dick Grayson Robin, but no, no. possibly as a Jason Todd Robin, exactly, yeah, 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 because yeah. no, he's got that sort of angry little streak about him, hasn't he? So I could see yeah. him. As a Jason Todd Robin, but then yeah, it's just, there's too many Robins to be fair. There's too many Robins for the bush. The Robin Cole, uh, Robin's Nest. Well, one of them, was, one of them was killed, wasn't he? I think. Anyway, we're getting a bit of something Jason away. Jason Todd. That was Jason Todd. Yeah, yeah. Death but, of Death yeah. in the Family, wasn't it? Yeah. But then he, yeah. but then they brought him back to life. <laughs> a, year prior, a year prior to flashback, uh, Sutherland had, had been in Renegades, which was uh, Jack Shoulder, who made The Hidden. AD, you'll remember The Hidden, won't you? I do remember The Hidden, yes. Yeah, that's that's Carl McLaughlin one, is it? That, that's a damn good film. That's a damn yeah. good film. But Renegades I'm quite fond of, with Lou Diamond Phillips. And uh, that was one of the ones that I was, I was thinking about sort of suggesting that for an episode later on. But uh, he plays an undercover cop in that, and he, he sort of ally- makes an alliance with a, a Native American uh, to, to sort of hunt down... Uh, some bad guys that have stolen a, a Native American sort of tribal lens. Um, and so, yeah, he's, uh, that undercover cop character is on his way to becoming Jack Bauer, I think, at that point. And, and flashbacks, another step on that. Um, in 1990, it was in, I think, Flatliners was 1990, wasn't it? I saw that in the pictures. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Young Guns too. And I think it's hard for you young'uns, Mark, you know, to uh, remember or to sort of visualise how, how big Young Guns 2 was at the time. Do you remember that, AD? I do. The, I, I, I had the full-on bon, you know, John Bon Jovi soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> Going out uh, in a blaze of glory. <laughs> that one, no, yeah. John's, in, John's joined the podcast. How great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, John. How are you doing? <laughs> nice of you I to join. 
dead or alive. Terms with Bon Jovi. Yes. No, he's in the room with me, Mark. I invited him over. Yeah, yeah. I said, Dom, would you like to come out just for five seconds and sing Blaze of Glory? If I were ever to meet Dom Bon Jovi, I'd refer to him as Senor Bon Jovi, just out of respect. Yeah. Go straight to calling him John. He's nodding. He likes that bag. Is it Mr. Bon Jovi or is it Mr. Jovi? Bon Mr. Jovi? Is it Mr. Jovi or Mr. Bon Jovi? It's Mr. Bon Jovi, Bill. There you go. There's your. Oh, he's got a high voice, hasn't he? He's just, just, just been singing. Um, well, yeah, but it's not like he does it two hours a night, is it? A hit from 32 years ago. I don't think he does currently at the moment, to be honest with you. I saw Bon Jovi year before last. Yeah, that was the year before last, but not last year. <laughs> yeah, but he's just had a year off, hasn't he? <laughs> Should we get a bit? We're getting a bit off topic, aren't we? But there was a big film, of Young Guns too, wasn't it? It was. Topic? It was a, it was a massive film, yeah, nineteen ninety, yeah. Flatliners was as well. I mean, I remember, mm. you know, a lot yeah. of friends sort of, oh, Flatliners, soon Flatliners. Yeah, yeah. And, and I saw, I wasn't that impressed with Flatliners, to be honest with you. I thought it was, it was all right. It's, it's grown to me over the years since, but, uh, um, but it's, I, it's I a bit, it's, it's Chewbacca, isn't it? It's a bit all, all flash and little substance, I think. Did you say Chewbacca, Aidan? Schumacher, isn't it? Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. Yeah, Chewbacca. Yeah, Chewbacca directed it. His, his films uh, are rubbish. What's that? What's that? Dialogue's what, no you, good. You want more feeling? <laughs> Did Michael Michael Chewbacca won quite a few uh, Formula One titles, didn't he? <laughs> I think we're broken. Um, right. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think this is what's known as corpsing, isn't it? Right, straight face, straight face. Yeah, yeah Bon Jovi right. to take over if you can. No, Joel, Joel, <laughs> Joel Schumacher, I believe, directed Flatliners, didn't he? As far he as did, did he? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think like a lot of his films, there's a lot of, uh, it's all, you know, it's all a lot of surface, but not much depth. Yeah, um, I mean. He, to Flatliners. He strove, I mean, you, you've got a few years later falling down, he sort of strove to add a bit of depth to that. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how come... who ruined Batman, though. Yes, he with is. The nip- yes. With the nipples. Mm-hmm. It's the credit card that annoys me. <laughs> More than the nipples. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. The nipples were bad, but the, that, 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 the, that credit card line is the worst thing to happen to cinema, I think. I think it was Val Kilmer that ruined it for me. I didn't like him in as a Batman. Never closes his mouth. How weird's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's because he's uh, he's actually part fish. He's so he, uh, he breathes through his mouth. <laughs> yes. Where's I... this going anyway? Jump on Mr. Bon Jovi. Can we talk about Dennis Hopper now? Can we just finish off with uh, Jack Bauer? Uh, I, before we get to Jack Bauer sort of thing, he does actually, um, all this talk of Keith Sutherland, We've kind of overlooked my favourite film of his, uh, which is Dark City, which I think we are going to look at at some point. Oh, uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, Dark but um, but he's, in, he's in Dark City and he plays a very yeah. a very different kind of character. He's almost unrecognisable in that as to what his normal, um, in his normal role sort of thing. He's, he's really good in that. Um, so I'm not going to say so much of that because I think we are going to do that at some point, aren't we, Dark City? Yeah, I'd like to do Dark City at some point. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just, I think it's deciding which cut you look at with Dark City, but... Um... Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's the director's cut or the, um, the original theatrical cut, because they're very different, aren't they? But... So Dennis, Dennis well, I, think, I, well, I, I was, I was just saying where it was uh, Keith Sutherland as well. He, he did a film, Crazy Moon, uh, 1987, which was uh, it, it's got some elements. Um, you know, he, he, 
again, you know, you, you, you've, you've got actors who can sing or you've got actors who can ride motorbikes. And if, if they can, can do sing. either of those, <laughs> if, they, if they can do either of those, then they, then they do them in as many films as possible. And uh, Crazy Moon, he gets on a, on a motorbike at some point. I love these streets. Uh, I love these streets. <laughs> Someone mute him. Shut up, John. Cancel <laughs> Bon Jovi. <laughs> Just because you're in the Actually, Bon Jovi's kind of done the Dennis Hopper thing, hasn't he, with his, uh, with his cut off his locks? He has, um, but, but at least he stayed Democrat. Yeah. Leads us nicely on to Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, what, do we we think about, what do we think about Hopper? I'll, go, can, I'll just get my. I'll go, I'll go here, sort of thing. Dennis Hopper. Um, I, 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 you know, everyone knows Dennis Hopper. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Easy Rider sort of thing. But, you know, looking through his list of films that I did sort of thing, I realised I'd really not seen very, very many of them sort of thing. And my relationship with Dennis Hopper is pretty much Easy Rider, Blue Velvet, um, Speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there's, there's not, you know, this. I mean, he's done loads. And there's probably other things, you know. 250 and films. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, Super Super Mario Brothers, um, which will just, you know, gloss over <laughs> somewhat. But I was I was looking through his list of films, and, you know, he pops up in, you know, he's in Rumblefish, um, Apocalypse Now. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, he's in Apocalypse Now. And he is the photojournalist. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, right, I, remember, yeah. I remember that. Um, but I was just looking through stuff, looking through his, his, his film list sort of thing. And I was like... None of these are sticking out to me. Um, and I think Dennis Hopper somehow become, and I think it's probably because of, you know, Blue Velvet. He's become this sort of, uh, you know, I- iconic, crazy character, um, you know, that he kind of plays sort of thing. That, that, is, that I, I, I've, suddenly, I've got a huge gap for, for some reason, sort of thing, which is kind of strange because it's um, looking at, you know, the amount of things he's done. Um, you know, he's actually in 24 with the... Um, you know, he's, uh, he is, yeah. In yeah. the first first season, wasn't it? I think in the first was, season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I know Dennis Hopper, and I know of him. And uh, but looking through his films, I have such a such a big gap there. So uh, you know, yeah. If you want to talk about Blue Velvet, hey, anything else? Oh, <laughs> I mean, the thing about the thing about Hopper was that, <clears throat> of course, you know, up until uh, sort of 68, 69, when he made Easy Rider, he was an actor, and he acted in a lot, a lot of stuff. And he, there was a, um, uh, he had a, a sort of a disagreement with Henry Hath- Henry Hathaway, um, on I think was it was it the, the set of From Hell to Texas, um, and uh, and uh, Hathaway sort of said you'll never work in this town again because Hopper had been a friend of. Um, uh, uh, James Dean's and 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 uh, and Hathaway made him shoot a scene. I think it take eighty takes, and Hopper sort of had his James Dean had, had only recently passed away. I think and Hopper sort of blew up at Hathaway, and Hathaway sort of got him blacklisted really until the late sixties, and then he appeared in sort of various different um, Cool Hand Luke and and uh, Hang 'Em High and and uh, and um, you know um, uh, uh, True Grit as as you know often as as like a heavy or a second heavy in these westerns, and then of course he directed Easy Rider which is a breakthrough film um and then he made some really interesting films as a director the last movie i mean i i know people say oh it's self-indulgent it's pretentious i really like the last movie i think you know it's it's, it's finally had its due because it, it's sort of set in obscurity for years until about a year or two ago and then finally it's been released on, on home video dvd and blu-ray out of the blue i think a massive fan of out of the blue um like i said earlier i wrote about that from a master's degree and that's uh that's kind of again about the counterculture and the fallout from the counterculture colors he directed colors uh, about the LA gang violence with um, 
uh, Robert Duval and, and um, Sean Penn. Um, great film. Catch Fire, which wasn't so good. Um, and, and, and the year that this came out, fl- uh, Flashback, he directed The Hot Spot with, um, uh, based on the Charles Williams book, Neo Noir with uh, Don Johnson and uh, Virginia Madsen and Jennifer Connelly, which is a really good film as well. <clears throat> but, I mean, in, in the 70s, he, he sort of played some really sort of edgy roles. Uh, Mad Dog Morgan, uh, you know, and, and as you say, the photojournalist. A lot, a lot of these, from what I understand about Hopper, he was stoned or drunk or drunk and stoned <laughs> uh, while he while he was sort of performing these roles. And then in the eighties, he, he he he, you know, uh, Rumble Fishy was in the Osterman Weekend for Peckin Power. Um, and then at some point in the early eighties, he he he'd been in and out of psychiatric wards and and rehab. And it culminated in an incident where he attempted the Russian Dynamite Death Chair Act. Was, I think it was 17 sticks of dynamite in 83. And Richard Linklater's talk, talked about this because it was a, a, some sort of festival and Linklater was there and he witnessed some of... Uh, and, and, and there was a... I can't remember which film it was, but there was a screening of a film and I think Hopper sort of sat in the audience. And it wasn't his film, but he just provided a running commentary over it. Do you know what I mean? Um, talk about pressing for the ages of DVD and Blu-ray and that, and that kind of thing. Um and, uh, and and after this Russian de- dynamite death chair act, you know, it basically blew up this cardboard chair that he was sitting on. And I'm, as I'm sure you know, it's it's kind of it depends on where the pressure of the sort of dynamite sits. It's got to blow away from you, and you're safe. Um, but then he made some really strange choices in in the eighties, didn't he? And um, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Two, you must have seen that, Aidan. Oh yes, yeah, Texas yeah, Chainsaw yeah. Two. That, yes, left left um, the end. Yeah, I think that, that, that was one of those films where I was like. When I kind of went back to it, I went, oh, Dennis Hopper's in this. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. And and, and then he, he, he sort of came out as a Republican, really, in that era. And there was a few films where he made, <clears throat> he, he appeared as um, sort of aging hippies that were um, almost like a way of exercising his countercultural sort of associations. Um, there was The River's Edge, with Tim, uh, directed by Tim Hunter, which is a really good film, where Hopper is, is cast as a, this pot-dealing ex-biker, one-legged ex-biker called Feck. Um, his story sort of bewitched the local kids. He, he has a story of murdering his, his, his lover, a woman, uh, many years ago, and getting away with it and being on the lam for 20 years. And sort of lives in this shack with a blow-up sex doll for company. And, you know, and and, uh, and, and, and that's kind of a step on the way to, uh, you know, this idea of this... this, this 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 guy, this ex-biker that's, that's committed this heinous act, and he's been on the lam for twenty years. Is a step to flashback, I think, in River's Edge. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think what you see with with his role as Huey here is this duality of the character, which cashes in on Harper's Easy Rider persona, but also looking to his war, looking forwards to his more slick roles in things like Speed, and. Uh, you know, the, 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 that transformation takes place in that scene on the train, doesn't it, where Huey convinces John that he's slipped LSD into his, his drink of mineral water. You know, John's this kind of uh, uh, Reagan supporter that that, uh, that uh, carries his own salad dressing. I mean, what says more about a character than carrying your own salad dressing? You know, mm-hmm. on a train trip. Um, and, and then he convinces John that he should drink a bottle of tequila to counteract the bad trip. And then while John's stoned out of it Huey sort of steals his clothes doesn't he and so he comes out with his hair cut and it's that, that that transformation of Hopper in the blink of an eye from 60s Hopper with the long hair and the beard to 90s Hopper you know with this it's like Mr Ben I think hmm. Dennis Hopper does Mr Ben he goes into the, the the cubicle on the train doesn't he and he comes out a different <laughs> a different guy entirely the villain of speed um I mean 
<clears throat> you've got uh, uh, the motivations of Hubbard's character in this film, uh, which appear at the outset to be idealistic. But as the story goes on, we realise that that he's, uh, he's motivated by selling his memoirs, isn't he? His, his, his sixties idealism really is revealed to be a capitalist ruse. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, some people felt, uh, and you can get that from the contemporary review, some people felt the same about Hopper in the 80s. He was seen as a, a bit of a sellout. He had an extremely productive period in the 70s, but essentially burnt, him, burnt himself out, got clean in the 80s, following that incident, incident with the dynamite chair, and stepped back from the art world, because he was also an artist and photographer, wasn't he? He was a painter. Um, and someone suggested that uh, some of the um, uh, uh, sort of data that I digged into, the, the research that I looked at, uh, suggested that that was because he felt frustrated because you know he hadn't really got anywhere in the art world and, and sort of decided to step back, back from it i mean you could say as well that perhaps and i don't want to fall into that stereotype but uh, i don't want to fall into that stereotype. i don't want to i don't want to sort of uh, uh uh reinforce that stereotype but maybe with hopper you know you get the feeling that perhaps his, his real muse was the drugs and the booze and, and you know when he went when he went clean it sort of stripped him of that source of inspiration um uh, uh, and, and you know he, he also became a Republican in that era as well, or outed himself as well. Um, and, and Hal Hinton, the critic, uh, suggested in, in, in quoting here, Harper plays Huey, uh, Huey as a cartoon version of himself. He's playing his own legend, which, in addition to being grotesquely square, seems a tad immature. And he also suggested that the performance qualifies less as acting than the self-cannibalism, which I think is a nice way of putting it. Um, and at the end of the film, of course, he comes out and you think he's he's dead. He's been annihilated in this spectacular explosion, that train carriage. But um, um, uh, John goes into the, Sutherland goes into the City Lights bookstore, doesn't he? And, and he finds uh, Hopper's book, uh, Huey's book, sorry, I should say, which is, um, what's the title of the book, Pete? Can you remember? A flashback. It is flashback, uh, it's yeah. the book, yeah. It's, it's revol revolting something, isn't it? Revolting for 20 years or something. Something along those lines, isn't it? And, and it's, isn't he, he opens it up and there's a dedication to John Buckner, yeah. isn't there? And he comes yeah, out yeah. and Hopper's standing there in a white suit. I mean, nothing says more 80s excess than the white suit. It's scarred. And a diamond, <laughs> a diamond earring as well. Exactly, and a limousine. The transformation. White, white limousine at that. It is a white limousine, and the, the transformation's complete. At the end of the picture, is a, is a, oh. is a Reaganite capitalist, isn't he, or Bush era capitalist, really? But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, um, I don't know how you felt about Hopper's sort of depiction in that picture, Pete. Um, well, as as you were talking there, it, it, it just made me think, you know. So you've got uh, Easy Rider, you know, Dennis Hopper, Easy Rider versus Space Trucker and and Water. Um, Waterworld, things like that. Is it? Is, yeah. Does, yeah. Is it sort of like a, like a Malcolm McDowell sort of a Clockwork Orange? Then then fast forwarding to things like Tank Girl and stuff like that, where it becomes a, a caricature sort of. Yeah. Um, you know, and all, all those. Oh dear, I don't know. Do you say worthy films of of the of the early years have sort of been forgotten, and um, you know. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mentioned it before, but. Is it possible that he's playing this at the end? He's playing the system. He's got all his money, but what he's really going to do is go back to that commune, buy it, and live with, uh, live with um, her with the curly hair. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and just just live live out his years in just with love and surrounded by hippie stuff. Yeah, Maybe. I think that 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 resolution, that final scene, you can sort of um, add your own. 
yeah. end to Huey's story, you know. Um, and, he says and, and, he says something like uh, re- rebellions are a young man's game or something. He does, it? yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the quote that I've got. <clears throat> I was going to say at the end of the podcast, but he says rebellions a young man's game, and John says I'll do my best, and Huey says, "Well, we're counting on you because when we get out of the the eighties, the nineties mm. are going to make the sixties look like the fifties, which is yeah." Really- I, I, I mean, for about for about five minutes, I was trying to work that through in my head. I was like, "Oh, yeah. what? Hang on, what? What were the fifties like? Why would the eighties look? Why a? Well, the fifties were square, weren't they? But when you think about the fifties, mm. it was rock and roll. There was the birth of youth culture, so they weren't as square as they appeared to be on the surface. There's a lot of unpacking to do in that sentence, I think. To be honest, you know, the nineties <laughs> are going to make the sixties look like the fifties. They're going to make them look square, or they're going to make them yeah. look square on the surface, but really radical. I think that I think that was one of those lines that they wrote. Went, yeah, that's a good line. That sort of thing with no concept of actually trying to work it out. Yeah, I think yeah. just you know, it just was like that. Um, yeah, um, I think you're, I think you're right, Pete. My my take from this sort of thing was just the fact that just. Um, you know, there's the whole notion of as you grow older, you grow more conservative, supposedly. Mm. You know, so so there is that to to his uh, to his role, and you know, and you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, when I first started watching this film, sort of thing, um, because I knew nothing about it, I was actually thinking, have I missed a sequel to Easy Rider? Um, <laughs> have I? Is this because I'm like, hang on a minute, is this the, is this is he playing this character? He did something in '97. Oh, sorry, you did something 20 years ago, and I was like, have I missed, have they done something here, sort of thing, or what's going on? And, and when I first started watching it, um, you know, his character was quite interesting when he sort of starts, you know, and it was this buddy movie, and I thought, okay, we're into Midnight Run territory. Um, but yeah, Hopper, Hopper's character in it, sort of thing, does it, is he going to go and buy that farm back at the end? Um, prob- probably, but, you know, he's in a big white limo with a white suit. <laughs> but he, yeah. he drives it. He gets the guy to sit in the back. He says, "Oh, I'll drive." Yeah, it's not all bad. He just kidnapped his driver and driving him yes. out to the middle of Oregon. I'm sure the guy <laughs> don't want to do that. Jack a little bit. This um, guy's probably it's... terrified in the back when he drives him out to some weird hippie commune in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> probably thinks they're going to eat him. There's, there's maybe an element of. Um... Well, I, I mean, just to jump on that, AD. That that I mean, my reference point for that ranch, I think of the Spallan Ranch, and that was kind of, um, uh, you know, where, where Manson's sort of crew, you know, and uh, yeah, mine was I mean, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when 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 Huey, I think Huey's clearly modelled on Abby Hoffman, the member of the Yippie movement, who was a uh, uh, the member of the Chicago Seven who had been charged with uh, inciting a riot, riot following anti-Vietnam War protests in '68, and he also got in trouble for um, he interrupted a Who concert, didn't he? The concert by the Who. Um, and, and expressed his support for is it David Sinclair, the leader of the White Panther movement, uh, for which Pete Townsend, you know, hit him with his guitar to get him off the stage, get the, get the fuck off my stage. I think was the phrase. <laughs> um, and, and Pete Townsend denies this, but but you know, apparently there were many people that saw it happen. Um, but uh, Abby Hoffman continued to be a figurehead for the anti-war movement, and in, in '89, just a year before this, he died of an overdose, barbiturate overdose, I think. Um, and famously, when he was sentenced in 1970, Hoffman told the judge to to try LSD and offered to set him up with a, a dealer I know in Florida was, was his phrase. Um, but I think you know when, when we see um, Huey in those early sequences and and uh, and, and the FBI guy uh, is it Clifton Young isn't it that plays um, uh, John's boss Sutherland's boss. 
uh, says, uh, well, you know, really, and it, it's revealed at the end that he was the mm. FBI guy that that that, that um, Huey escaped from in the sixties, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, he, he says, really, you know, this extended sentence, it's just because he embarrassed us, you know, and, and, and he, he humiliated us and, you know, it's a bit sort of a bit of a token, really, you know, a, a symbolic gesture. And I can't help but think of Manson, I have to say, as as much as it's characters clearly modelled on Abby Hoffman, I can't help but think of Manson and Manson's sort of lengthy sentence, you know, in, in, and I don't want to get in, into the ins and outs of, you know, how... How complicit he was in those those crimes, but you know, kept in in jail for uh, fifty years before he pegged it the other year. Um, uh, and and there's a bit of Manson about there's that more than Abby Hoffman. There's that manicness I think in Hopper's performance, isn't there? I think I think that's the he resembles Manson more than Hoffman. I think physically too, uh, in terms of his stature and, and sort of the wild eyes and so on. I'm I'm, I'm here in silence now. I'm, I'm not outing myself as some sort of child. <laughs> Right. So it, just, it just reminds me, and the, 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 my reference point as a kid growing up in the eighties was uh, uh, for, for sort of the counterculture and the hippie communes and stuff. It wasn't hippie communes? It was it was the Span Ranch. That was what I'd heard about, you know, and because that was the end. That was the death of it, wasn't it? That was the death of that that sort of counterculture. And, and you know, when people said about people living on communes in the sixties and stuff, I I I my mind always went to Manson. You know, because I'd seen Helter Skelter, I think, probably in the 70s. Um, but I think the other thing about uh, Huey is that uh, it, it, with that figure, it kind of cuts the teeth of the 60s counterculture because it, it presents it as tricksterish and, and sort of harmless in a way. Uh, you know, Huey's a, a comical figure, really. Even the thing that he did in 68, which was this attempt on the life alleged of, allegedly of Spiro Agnew, was, 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 was not something that he'd done. He'd just taken credit for it. And there's that moment at the start that, that sort of acts as an index of this one. There's the, the guy on the train, the, the conductor, and he's black, isn't he? And Huey says to him, um, "I'm a soul brother, just like you, a prisoner of the system, man." And you know, from that point onwards, that this character is is not to be taken seriously. And it's sort of, in, in some ways, the film feels like. Uh, and Copper was probably cognizant of this, I would imagine, at that stage. You know, when he'd come out as a Republican and so on. But the film feels like a recuperation of those radical values, sort of making that that era, the radicalism of that era. Figures like Hoffman appear sort of comical and, and sort of tricksterish. Um, but the the film sort of kind of, and this is what we talked about earlier, those tonal shifts later in the picture when John sort of visits the commune and, and Maggie shows him the home movies. It becomes genuinely sort of a moving nostalgic gaze at that era because he's he's watching those home movies and we we see that that happy childhood that, that he, he seems to have uh with his parents who he's completely disowned because he's being a, a the, the the youthful rebel that he is he's become a conservative he's become a, an fbi agent he's become a, a supporter of reagan and he's completely divorced himself from his parents but when he's watching those home movies there's that you know you receive genuinely uh, it's very sort of good acting by Sutherland, I think that is. Uh, feels very method. But there's a sense of peace and nostalgia for something that's been lost. And um, and then he co- he has the transformation. He comes out wearing the tie-dye T-shirt, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think there's you know, also the, the, the element that, you know, like Maggie, is it that, that you know, she's <laughs> like, when he's saying, oh, you know, that um, about the train and stuff, that's the only thing I was remembered for. And she's like, hey, Please tell me you don't really believe that it was your words. It was, you know, and 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 again, there's a seriousness to it. Like, you know, there are like 
different messages in the film, it seems. Sometimes it's one, it looks like it's totally sort of sat- satiring, satiring, I don't know if it's the word, um, the, the, the hippie movement. But then sometimes it really feels like it believes in it and is um, yes. nostalgic for it. Because he's, he's saying about the power of his words and how, uh, you know, what his words actually meant to people. Yeah, I think you're right, Pete. You probably said it in a much more concise way than I did. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, it oscillates between the two. Sorry, Aidan. No, I was just going to say, I kind of agree with Pete. There are, there are some moments in the film that, that, that do actually genuinely work. And, um, you know, when I, like I said, I'll go back. When I first started watching it, sort of thing, it felt very Midnight Run. I thought, OK, it's going to be a bit Midnight Run. But when they got onto the train and they started having that conversation about, you know, you know, do you like Reagan? Do you not? You know, what happened to your father? And all that kind of stuff. And there was this character... These two characters sort of building out from each other. I was kind of hoping that the in my head sort of thing, I was thinking, you know what? I wonder if this film is just these two in this train carriage just talking. And by the end of it, he does take him in, and maybe they've just found some common ground, whatever. I thought that could have been quite a nice character. But I didn't know what to expect from this film. I think then that would have been of, written by Harold Pinter. Either. Yeah, prob- <laughs> probably. Yeah, sort of thing. But I thought that could, that was quite an interesting, you know, thing could have could have happened or a bit more of that. Then that whole sequence happens with the. Um, uh, the, the nurse or the, the the woman sort of thing and that mm. I was like oh this is okay this is a bit a bit ropey should we say can we stop with that come back to what you're saying lady sorry I don't mean to interrupt you too much but that scene sort of disturbs me a bit with the nurse although oh costume. very very much so sort of thing I, it's, it's, because it's um it's terrible sort of thing because like you know oh I won't charge very much for your friend it's like Oh, this is all kind of wrong. You know, there's well, some... there's, there's a bad representation of women in it. I think. And, yeah. Uh, you know, even the act is, is terrible. It's, and uh, you know, because they're, they're at the bar, aren't they? And and um, and um, Huey's convinced John that the only way to get out of this bad trip is by hammering back this tequila. So so John's there hammering the tequila back, and the, he says to the woman, um, she says, "Oh, I'm in this, doesn't she?" Where's that effect? And well, can you tell him that drinking tequila is the best way to counteract a bad LSD trip? And then she, oh, yeah, it is, yeah. And then she sort of meets them outside the carriage, doesn't she? And 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 um, and, and and Hopper's kind of, Huey, I should say, is 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 uh, he, he sort of asks her how much she charges, doesn't he? Really? And, and yeah. then she goes in, and and and. Sutherland sort of like and the way that it's framed as well is quite sinister I think it's played for laughs but I find it really troubling that he's laid out on the floor plastered and then she comes in and she sort of straddles him and she strips his shirt and says oh you're so macho you know sorry I sound like you know, Kenneth Williams said, oh, you're so macho. She said, I do this for free, you know, but your friend's paying me. And yeah. while he's out, he's out of it, he's hammered, she rapes him. Yeah. And it's kind of, and, and I, I, I watched that and and I just think, what? who in, but, who in the right mind writes a scene like that and thinks that that, even in the 80s, you know. But it, you has, sw- it has that sort of comedy kicker in it when she, it's almost Benny Hill like where, mm. where he's like, where she goes, she leans forward and his legs pop yeah. up. And it's, yeah. you know, it sounded this. What it, it reminded me, and I, and I know uh, this is, it reminded me of, um, and I, I, you know, sort of like almost sort of uh, French farce. In fact, it reminded me quite continental, sort of that kind of you'd see it in the sort of French films or Italian films. That kind of that kind of attitude towards sex and sort of you know almost farcical nature of of a quite horrible act. And I, I've seen that in quite you know you see that in the, on the continent sort of thing in those kind of sort of foreign films and. Uh, that's what that felt like. I don't know whether that was the director sort of thinking this was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, from his Italian background sort of thing. Maybe there's that 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 was part of it. But from a you know from a in a Hollywood film sort of thing. But you are right. She just does. You know, he's he's completely. I mean, he's if you completely zonked out. 
So. I mean, if you switch the gender roles around and you've got a female character yeah. who slip, slips her or gets her drunk and then some guy comes in and rapes her in a train carriage, I mean, it's it's not... It's it's disgusting, really. And yeah. I, I mean, uh, as much as I like so, so many elements of the film, I found that, that, that scene really upset me, I have to say. Yeah, I was. I'm glad I'm not I was, the only one because I was. I was. I was. I was slightly triggered by it to use the part. One of oh dear. One of my. <laughs> Sorry, uh, one Dave, of my. But... <laughs> one of my special effects students uh, last you year. Did a dissertation was... on this, didn't they? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, 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 the depiction of of male rape in, in or sexual assault in in film and, uh, and how it's comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, films like Get Hard. Um, or even Deliverance. Uh, well, the fact that Deliverance is then parodied in things like The Simpsons and, exactly, and things yeah. like that, you know. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. It's a bit. It's a, it's a big issue that I think. But uh, but yeah, I mean that scene sort of it feels so out of place, and I had to, I had to sort of mention it. I think so. I do. No, I, for... I, I I do. I, I knew we were going to talk about it. So I think I just didn't know when we were going to talk about it. It's fine to bring it up now. I mean that that's cool sort of thing. Um, where was I anyway? Um, oh yeah, the type of film. Um, the where were we sort of thing? Yeah, so it would have been quite interesting if it had just stayed in the train, but then it becomes quite formulaic. And then it does have this weird middle section with those those two, you know, Michael McKean and... Um, well, I kind of like that. I have to I, say that um, uh, Richard Monsieur and, and Michael McKean, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're two corporate lawyers, I think, they claim themselves to be, don't they? And, and, no. um, and, and Hopper... Uh, I, own, I own Easy Rider. <laughs> but it, <laughs> but yeah, friends. I... I that's right. But yeah, yeah. You can't, the problem you can't with those right. sort of thing was again that it was the tone. The tone's all over the shop it because is, yeah. you've got this. Like I said, oh, you have this bit in the bar sort of thing, which is quite, you know, oh, you don't know, and then they kidnap him, and it's all a bit of fun sort of thing. But then you have the scene in the the prison sort of thing with the, you know, Sutherland getting beaten up um, and it being okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's the, you know, the whole notion of the suddenly the congressman who's an evil congressman and, and will kill them all sort of thing. It's like this totally just. Just shifted, you know. They go to the bridge, and you know they're gonna kill him. Um, and it, it it feels it it sort of borders on farce with with, with you know with like I said, and I, I I I don't know whether that's the continental influence. I don't know whether that's the Italian influence and it sort of thing. With it sort of that kind of humour, um, you know, and, and and I'm not sure sort of thing. But I just found it kind of all over the place. And then when it, it when it does drop into something quite interesting, is the only interesting bit. That, I, I, I'm, I'm going to come out something. I, I, I found the film okay. It was it was a bit of a mess. I thought the only scene I liked sort of thing was the scene on the um, you know on the ranch um, on on the sort of hippie commune, but sort of thing. And it's the scene, like you said, sort of thing where he's watching the home movies, which I think was very affecting and I think was really good. Um, even though it did remind me of the similar scene in National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, yes, when, yeah. he's up, when, when he's up in the attic and I think that kind of scene you know the the main character watching themselves as a child sort of thing and the you know the, how happy they were that you know how innocent they were and how, what you know what have they lost you know going forward is, is you know it's a bit of a cliche uh, yeah. but I think this does actually manage to sidestep it somewhat um, yeah, and yeah. actually and actually is does work quite well um and and, you know i thought i thought that was okay okay sort of thing but then you know then it just it segs back into the the sequence on the train and 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 i i I absolutely hated that sequence where she drives the bus and they get the bus and then they're all stood outside the bus listening to his speech yeah yeah the old old women are like crying going oh yeah Yeah, his words are so true Oh, it's like I thought this. This this has become it's become like a parody of what was actually quite affecting a moment ago. Yeah, Um, yeah. and and that's what I couldn't get from this film. It just it flip flopped from 
you know, tonally, message-wise, how it delivered it. It was just all over the shop. And then the ending, when he, oh, you know, the Chekhov's gun of him actually managing to de de decouple the train, um, yeah. you know, because obviously we've told you he's going to do that, so he's got to do it. Um, and then he just turning up at the end and, and, you know, getting on his bike and riding away sort of thing. And that really long extended credit sequence, just riding off to nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It it just felt like a bit of a it, uh, this film for me it was a little a little bit of a mess. I thought. Yeah. With, with, with one good scene in the middle. Yeah. Maybe less than the sum of its parts. I mean, the the the, the scene the, the scenes of Monsieur and Michael McKean. I mean, I watched it and I, I sort of mentioned Monsieur. And my first reference point is the thing where he plays Clark, doesn't he? In, uh, oh, of course. He, he does. Yes. Yeah, he does. And yeah. I sort of I, I was sat there watching that. That's Clark because I, I hadn't checked the credits. So that's Clark. That's the, you've got to watch him. Yeah, you've got to watch him, yeah. And, uh, but but these guys play two corporate lawyers, don't they? They're suckered into assisting Huey. He uses sort of reverse psychology to get them to free John. He says, don't risk your comfortable lives for some hippie. And this uh, a listening of comforts, widescreen TVs, jacuzzis. I mean, it's a good sketch, this, on SNL or something like that. You can imagine it, can't you? Don't miss those. And, and one of them says, we don't have to sit here and be insulted by some fascist, you know. And it's these, <laughs> this idea of these two privileged guys sort of going on about fascism. And it, it, I mean, that, that scene, like you say, it flip-flops all over the place, but it, it feels very current, that scene, I think. It feels very current, people of privilege speaking about oppression that they have never experienced. Do you know it's what I mean? Yeah. Because he says, to, he says to them about getting into their into their BMWs and then when they kidnap him, yeah. that's what they're driving, isn't it? They're driving a BMW. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I smell pig, one of them says, you know, and it's the kind of the classic thing of middle-class kids walking home from school seeing come out, park, park, you know, and we've all seen that happen, haven't we? Um, no, because I respect the police. <laughs> I didn't say we've done it, Mark. I said we've seen it happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so, you know, Bit of a comment on those middle-class medical soapy, and Huey calls them, and I yeah. like this line, that he calls them the Abbott and Costello of the me generation, doesn't he? You know, sorry, Pete, you were going to say. That's all right. It, that, it just remind. Uh, it sort of brings me back to some of the things we were saying before, um, uh, attached with the end and and things like that. Um, that element of uh, it being a young man's game, but also the the idea of when we do sell out and things like that, but. Um, sort of just um, just brought to mind the big chill, where yeah. the part yeah. part of the, the... Recent. it was recent. The big the big chill was was quite recent, wasn't it at the time? No, the, 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 the one oh oh of, of, of when that happened, I thought you meant now. <laughs> but um, the um, yeah, but the, the the end sort of message or part of the end message of that seems to be you know. Yeah, we do change, and and we are rebellious when we're young, and it's we're not evil people just because we we we've sort of grown up a bit and changed, you know, at the end. Yeah, I just yeah. thought it was. A, it, there's the, the, I mean, there's the message of the passing of the flame, isn't there? The passing of the torch, mm. um, you know, you know, from Huey to um, Sutherland yeah. to free. To, to free, the, the, and that was the other thing as well. You know, actually being called free almost made me go, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like it hang, on, make, hang on hang on hang on here's my nose here's my nose and that it's that's it's a bit on it um, uh, it it made I, I wrote a note uh, when I started watching it as well thinking because uh, I watched this originally and like I sort of hinted at I was this wannabe hippie and stuff in some kind of way when I was a teenager you know uh, the, the idea of Fandango and stuff where you drive off into the desert and just sort of find yourself and and everything you know um, <clears throat> but I was I was I was I made a little note in the margin sort of when I was watching it thinking I wonder if now watching it you know as a 
sort of in a middle class sort of role as t- as tutor and all that sort of thing. Um, am I now going to side more with the the You've FBI? You've done radicalisation training, haven't you, Peter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you just like um, am I. Am I going to start thinking, oh, shut up, Hopper's character, you know, just going, you should be going to prison, you broke the law, you you know. Uh, but thankfully, I didn't completely. But um, I, again, I think it's just an interesting idea. And, oh, see, I, did. We... I thought you should, should have got the chair, but, you know, I'm not too harsh. Charles Manson just thrown, thrown to rot in a jail cell for 50 years. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting... Uh, and, and that ties into uh, that theme that's depicted in the film, this sort of relationship between the parent generation and youth, isn't it? And and that um, uh, John Sutherland's character thinks he's being rebellious by. And, and there's that line that Huey says that some kids go and run away and join the circus, don't they? But but, but John went off and ran away and joined the FBI. And 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 um, and, and John says at, at one point, he says, I, I thought, I, did you say, I thought I was being a rebel or I was being a rebel? Um, yeah, that was, I thought, it, I thought I was being, a, I thought, I thought I was a rebel by sort of running away from his hippie parents and joining the FBI. He says, I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be the same. Um and uh, you know, I, th- I, th- I think that, that that relationship between the parents, you know, if you've got a radical parent generation, um, and and if you say the premise of this is that that young people want to rebel against the parents, then how do the children of a radical parent generation rebel? They rebel by becoming more conservative, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they become their you know, Flanders. <clears throat> Flanders, or you know, they become a, a, a tight-assed FBI agent that, that uh, wanders around with the uh, his salad dressing in his pocket. <laughs> and I sort of, I, 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 I know it's a weird connection to make, but but in, in my head when I saw that scene with the salad dressing, I, I couldn't help but connect it to that scene in um, Have you seen Bullet to the Head with uh, the Walter Hill picture with Stallone where he pulls out that bottle of bourbon out of his hip pocket, you know? And we, yeah. we've gone, because he's a, I think he's an FBI agent or he's, he's a cop, isn't he, of some kind? And we've gone from cops that sort of pull out salad dressing as an index of the, the, the sort of a adherence to the Reaganite formula to cops that pull out sort of booze. <laughs> Back again, full circle, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and he's got that digital watch as well, hasn't he, with his. Um, um, with the alarm that tells him when to take his um, and his hands, yeah, his vitamins, and 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 uh, and uh, Huey says, "Does it tell you when to take a piss too?" And Mark, it's probably hard for you to think how much of a thing those digital watches were. You know, it's a bit like the car phones when we talked about delusion, isn't it? You know, well, people I had, I had a digital watch. Well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> you are far younger, younger than I. <laughs> but but they were a big thing, weren't they? Sort of an index of, uh, uh, you know, you had the little ones with calculators. There's that one in um, Dragnet, isn't there? The movie, the Dragnet movie with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, where he's, he's watching his television. That's can you remember that eighty that Sony did that Sony watch yeah. from the eighties that had the TV aerial that you put up your, your jacket sleeve or something. I mean, I remember seeing adverts for it, but I never saw one in person. Um, but uh, 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 what was I going to say about yeah that that parent generation and you know there's a lot of the, the same tunes isn't it, on the track that we hear on Easy Rider. We've got um, Hendrix, haven't we, all along the Watchtower, and uh, when they're when they're driving about in the bus and it's all rusty in it with the the sort mm-hmm. of prints on it, the painting on it, um, the murals on it, and they're driving about in the bus and we've got Born to Be Wild, haven't we, and so on. One thing I do like about sorry, Adi, were you going to say something? I was, I was just going to say I thought the interesting thing was we had uh, I mean the main um, uh, obviously, the main band that's used is Big Audio Dynamite, 
um, which obviously grew out of the clash, didn't it? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so yeah. thing was, and I thought I always thought the big audio dynamite were a bit of a. We, you could see something. I mean, the clash were this, you know, rebellious. You know, we all know what the clash were, sort of thing. Part of this punk movement, sort of thing. But were quite a bit, bit more than that. I always felt, sort of thing. And then I never felt Big Audio Dynamite were, were a bit more the softer, more acceptable version of the Clash. And that's yes, kind yeah. of you, you kind of see again, sort of thing. There's that parallel between you know what was and what what now is at the end of the '80s, beginning of the '90s. Um, so the use of them, I thought, was quite an interesting. Um, I don't know whether that's that's what exactly what they meant, but their their own history. Or you know, is it Mick Jones? Is it Mick Jones in the in Big Audio Dynamite. I think um, so. I, 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 uh, so his their history sort of thing of that transformation from the Clash to Big Audio Dynamite was something that almost paralleled what the film was talking about. Whether that was meant or not, I, I don't know. But uh, you know, I know Big Audio Dynamite were a political band. I know because that was that was their thing. Sort of thing. But they delivered it in a much more, shall we say, uh, sort of um, mild mannered way. I think than what the Clash were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So whether yeah. whether there's whether there's that's a I don't know whether that's just a, a, a lucky byproduct or something. I don't know, or whether it was you know purposeful because they do the uh, the they do the actual song at the end, don't they? That free they do. over, yeah. over the end credits. Um, <coughs> so, indeed. Yeah. So just thought I'd, just thought I'd mention that. There you go. No, 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 no. A bit of music history as well. Um, I mean, you know, my reference point is that that sort of um, that that picture target with uh, Matt Dillon and, and Gene Hackman. There's that line where Matt Dillon says to Gene Hackman, "Gene Hackman's his." father isn't he in that film he says your generation blew it and gene hackman says don't worry yours will too you know and, and you get you get that vibe from this picture don't you as well i think that's that, that's something that i would say um i mean those, those early what what i find interesting as well about the, the sort of the, the, the attempts at satirizing reagan's america huey makes that joke about reagan's autobiography i mean at this point bearing in mind that that, that, that hopper had sort of already sort of solidified his support for reagan and bush um um, but uh, Huey jokes about Reagan's autobiography. It has kind of has parallels with Huey's own autobiography as well, doesn't it? There's that that relationship between, you know, this this uh, autobiography of Reagan, and this is why the sudden interest in politics. But at that point, of course, Hopper was a, a Republican, quite sort of outspoken in his support for the Republican Party, and John expresses praise for Reagan. He uses that sort of age-old mm. statement. He, turn, he the turned economy. the economy around. Yeah. And Hopper says in response, you've got poor people living in the streets, man, and the rich, they're living at the Betty Ford Clinic. And I kind of like those little asides about, you know, that Reagan-Bush era, if you like. Yeah, um, there's just the, a good line in there. It says, oh, you've made two classes, the, the, the needy and the greedy or something. Exactly. Um, which I thought yeah. was quite nice. And that was in that sequence sort of thing where they were sat on the train and I was thinking, you know, is this what this is going to be? This is actually quite interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, go on. No, sorry. I was just going to say something else that I like was that opening montage of the 80s excess. You've got credit cards, you've got Coke. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got health clubs, you've got condoms. Oh, yeah. All, all this, this this sort of montage of stock footage, all the things that you remember from the 80s. Uh, you know, it, 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 I really like that montage. I think that's quite a clever sort of, it sets the tone, doesn't it, for the, the era, um, I think. Um, again, again, I, I thought that was obviously. Um, you know, with this being a, an Italian director, is that an Italian's view of America? So it feels like yeah. this is, you know, like so similar, similar to sort of, I mean, I could say come from games, but similar to games like, you know, your Grand Theft Auto sort of thing, which have this British view of America sort of thing. This is the thing, this is the things that America is about. All right. Well, and I, so, I mean, and that montage is similar to that, I think. But. 
Well, this is, I mean, it probably strikes home for me because, you know, uh, Paul Verhoeven and obviously PhD mm. on Paul Verhoeven, but, uh, you know, Paul Verhoeven's American films and, and that, those are very much a Dutchman's view of American society. Do you know what I mean? And I think that, I think I, I, that's what probably struck me about that, those early sequences of the film. It's like an, an outsider offering quite a sort of a clinical view of America. I mean, you said about this shift in tone as well. And, and when, um, uh, John is placed in the custody of uh, Rand Hightower, the Cliff de Young character, um, who's running for Congress, Congress on the Republican ticket, isn't he? And and, uh, and um, you know this is after Hugh has switched places with him and he's convinced uh, Hightower that um, uh, John is actually an army deserter, and he realizes that that sort of tight hour sheriff who, who represents the establishment's call because he gives it what I call the Rambo beating because it reminded mm. me of that scene mm. Rambo yeah. you know, where Brian Dennehy um, uh, sets upon uh, uh, Stallone in, in, in the cells. Yeah, and, a few a few bits of that story reminded me of the the Rambo first blood sort of the police presence um, and how they are the the manhunt sort of thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Rand realises his mistake at one point, doesn't he? He says, they told us you were an army deserter. And John says, well, really, does that does that justify the cruel beating he was given? And that sets the seed for John's transformation later, I think, when he, he watches those home movies and, and comes out in the tie-dye T-shirt. But as you say, AD, I'm not sure whether it all pulls together. In retrospect, you can look at it and say, well, I can see how that's led to that. Mm. But at the time, it feels very disconnected, I think, discom- discombobulated, I think, in many ways, like a, a, a film of many scenes, which sounds awful stupid, but you know what I mean, like a, a film of vignettes. Yeah, it's like. Like the, it's like the scene in the um, when they're in the dark in the forest and he gets him to put all the mud on, and it's like, oh, I pulled a joke on you. It's like, oh, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. The world's blackest mud, I might add, as well. It's the it's the darkest mud, darkest mud, darkest, darkest forest. Life. It is it is creek mud. Remember specifically, creek yeah. creek mud. It's Probably it's polluted by all those regular mud from a different planet. Waste. <laughs> <laughs> polluted by toxic waste, Mark. Have you not seen the uh, Return of the Living Dead Part Two? <laughs> toxic <laughs> Toxic Good Avenger Lord. or something. Talk about 80s satires. Toxic event. Oh, During that scene, I, I honestly thought, I was honestly thinking to myself, how haven't cancel culture come for this film yet? Yeah, because he does make him do sing sing Swanee, or he says, now sing Swanee or something. Mammy, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, Mammy, yeah. yeah. Just the jazz singer, bit, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that, that soul, soul brother line, isn't there, really, on the yeah. train as well, which, I, you know, it's sort of, you, you look at it and think, oh. But that, that's meant to signify how out of touch Huey is, I think, at that point, isn't it? You know, when he says that soul brother line. Uh, we're, we're not. We're meant to sort of laugh at him at that point. So well, you know, clearly this guy. This guy claims to be right on, but he's clearly quite. He's clearly not. Which goes back to what I was saying about the film undermining the validity of the uh, sort of counterculture movements. I think in many ways. Um, You're talking about him being out of touch. There's the when we were talking earlier about the scene in the bar with the two the two lawyers when he's talking to Mark Huey Walker and then. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he realizes that he's angry that no one knows who he is. Yeah. The myth that he's got in his head is different to how other people interpret it. There's, there's that encounter with Richard Monsieur and Michael McKean, isn't there, where they, uh, 
uh, their interpretation of the, those events are different. And then he, when he meets Maggie as well, and Maggie, Maggie's sort of part of that counterculture. I mean, mm. you can sort of dismiss the, the two guys in the bar, Barry and Hal, as being sort of fakers, if you like, boys who are fakers, that, 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 you know, the privileged guys that are sort of pretending to be radicals. But then he encounters Maggie, who's a part of the same generation as he, and mm. she, is, she has remained true to the values of the yeah, counterculture. She lives... Sorry, AD. So I was just going to say, I was going to say, because obviously we're not mentioned, really mentioned Carol Kane. I think I thought she was the best thing in this. Oh yes, <laughs> and, yeah. um, she's really she's really good, and she because like you said, I think she just feels genuine in that yeah, role. Yeah. I don't know, she doesn't have to do anything above and beyond something, sort of be slightly hippieish and everything like that. But whether, she, whether that's Carol Kane, I don't know. Obviously, I'm, I'm mm. not I don't know, but she comes across as that that scene, which all ties into that whole, you know, watching the video, so that whole sequence just feels more grounded and a bit more real. Real. It felt it felt like it felt like the film was actually trying to, you know, taking a step back and hang on a minute, let's just get away from the farce and the, the silly bits and let's actually look at these characters and see see where they were and what they did. And and Maggie's character, Carol Kane's character, is is clearly you know the the catalyst for all that. The the you know showing what he's what he was and you know where he. You know what he's lost, um, you know, uh, and sets him free again. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really liked, and I really like that sequence. So uh, you know, hats off to Carol Kane; she's really good in this. I think she is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of around about the era when she was in uh, Scrooge, wasn't it? As the Ghost of Christmas <laughs> Past. And, uh, yeah, because I only, I only know her from Bride. Scrooge and Princess Bride. That's all I know her from. So yeah, I mean, she, she's in so many things that you probably remember if you sat and watched, like Jumping Jack Flash. I mean, I vividly remember that Ishtar and and. Uh, you know, uh, she's she's in so many sort of pictures. Uh, and, I've, as, I've, delete, I've deleted those films from my uh, internal hard drive <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> there's, there's no there's no room for There's no room for Ishtar in my head. Ain't no. <laughs> I, I just went uh, delete <laughs> trash can with them. Like you said, Pete, she's in the last detail as well. We were talking sort of talk about the similarities mm. with last detail. She's in that, and I'd forgotten about it. it was her in the last detail and Dog Day Afternoon and Annie Hall and you mm. know she. I mean, she's uh, like I said. Whenever I see sort of Carol Kane on the screen, I go, "Oh, it's Carol Kane." She was in the. I mean, when a stranger calls back, you can't have deleted that from your your uh, sort of your AD demonic. <laughs> when a stranger calls back, don't know. I don't ring a bell. Maybe I have sort of thing. Maybe maybe I just did a, a grand old delete of loads of films you, I don't need. You remember the original when the stranger calls? I mean, she was in that, of course, as well. Uh, very very vaguely. You should you should go back and check that out. That's that's the that's the uh, uh, I, I hesitate to call it a slash. It's more of a thriller picture. But but she's a babysitter and and and, uh, and, mm. and to realise that the phone calls are coming from in the house. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so I remember the opening sequence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I said the sequence when the stranger calls back first because you know it's just a bit of a joke really. But 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 uh, yeah, she's in both of those. Um, uh, yeah, it's, that's a good picture that one. Um, I mean, Mark, did you have anything that you wanted to add about uh, about uh, uh, flashback? How do, um, how, how do you feel about the hippies and the FBI? The hippies and the FBI. Well, it's it's difficult because sort of most. Um, again, we we make reference to me being the the baby of the group, so most. That's why I asked. Yes. Yeah. For most films and stuff that have come out in my in in my era in my generation sort of go a long way to to poking fun at that sort of counterculture and 
we we sort of only really have the the very stereotypicalized view of you know the hippies and whatnot. So it was nice for me to watch a film that's a bit closer to it, um, if you know what, if you know what I mean. It still had obviously all the the same sort of iconography and 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 the same the same sense of what it is. But yeah, I think we've as 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 my I hate saying my generation, but my generation's become a little bit more desensitized to it. And because and then with the FBI as well, everything we we feel about the FBI is that we don't trust them because they're you know, they're they're the liars, aren't they? They're the they're the big Does Uncle it, Sam who Tell 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 me, Mark, as as a young man does it bother you when, when when the kids refer to the British police as the feds? Because I had a student that did that once, and I had to sort of <laughs> explain to them, but we don't live in America, we don't have a federal sort of police force. Yeah, it does have... a bit. Oh, I mean, you can, call them, you can call them the Vozers and the Blue Meanies, and the, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of other names you can use, but they, they technically are not feds, mate. Yeah, yeah I, it does annoy me. It annoys me that a lot of American sort of nomenclature and stuff has wormed its way into... Our vernacular a little bit, um, but I mean, we we say about me being a, a youngster, but I, I am thirty one. <laughs> well, in, in relative terms, I mean, you know, you just don't have that. Well, um, well, this film came out the year I was born. Um, there you go then. So, but no, yeah, it's yeah, referring to our police as as the feds is is just ridiculous, isn't it? But. It makes about as much sense as these middle-class corporate lawyers, uh, you know, uh, uh, going on about how radical they are, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I did did enjoy the film. I did. um, There were sort of scenes that um, I found a bit touching. Um, There was one specific moment I liked as well when um, it's getting towards the end and they're driving that bus to the train station. And um, those two lawyers come out of that shop, don't they? With, and they've got hangovers, and their kids are pestering them for money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, last night or whenever it was, you were radical hippies, weren't you? Kidnapping people and 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 rebelling. And now you're in your lovely knitted jumpers, and your kids are pestering you for thirty five dollars and all that. So I thought I found that a bit ironic and um, a bit. I quite liked that that little moment, but. It's. I, I kind of agree with Andy as well. It's a very messy film. Um, it is a little bit all over the place. Um, and like I said earlier, the third act for me um, is just... It, it completely falls sort of flat on its face a little bit for me. I think the, the turnaround in character for... Um, I keep wanting to call him Jack. Um, for John, for Buckner, is... Um, it happens very, very quickly, and he sort of abandons all of his principles and all, everything he holds dear to him at the start of the film seems to be completely abandoned. And for someone to become an entirely different person over the course of one film, I, I find a little bit annoyingly sort of unbelievable. Well, to do try and sort of um, explain it in the dialogue with that line that Huey says a bit earlier about the things you did, you had trapped inside you. I just provided you with an excuse to let yeah. them out. I don't, 
I don't think I buy it completely, to be honest with you. There was a there was a nice little hint at the at the very um, very beginning, well, quite near to the beginning when they're on the the train, and um, the Sullivan character says, uh, "The sixes are over, Huey. Times have changed. They've passed you by. We can't all be flower children for the rest of our lives." And the fact that he says "we" is uh, yeah, so sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the most annoying things for me. However, is at the end where where Keeper Sutherland's been shot in the chest and the leg, and he's bleeding for about six years and doesn't die. <laughs> um, and his boss comes and he's sat with him and he goes, "Oh, you know, you know, I'll let him escape. You know, this this fugitive that you want in prison for the rest of his life, I'll let him escape." And his boss goes, "Yeah, so do right. I. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So you'll be fine." And at the end, he's sort of like, you know, he's quitting and he's going, oh, well, your job's always open. No, no, put him in prison. He, he, oh, he let Mark, a few escape. Mark, what happened? <laughs> You've changed. <laughs> no, I've always been this way. You know what I mean? If, if, it's just, it's just, it's sort of at the end, it's like, get out of here, you scamp. It's like, oh, no. I'm probably not as harsh as that sort of thing because there are, as much as it pains me, so there are some, you know, that is, you know, he quits his job, but, you know, the whole thing is blamed on the 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 Republican senator. What's I can't remember his name now. So it's the guy who's blamed on Hightower. Yeah, well, it's because he shoots a, you know, he tries to do it all sort of thing and it comes out where he does sort of thing. And then it's all blamed on, you know, don't forget sort of thing. They print most of it on the dead character. You know, Huey's supposed to be dead now. So it's quite, they can just sweep it under the thingy which probably makes more you know i'm I'm looking at this from a you know a, a, i don't know why i'm looking at it like this sort of thing but um from a uh a, the point of view of the fbi sort of thing if they can if they don't have to blame it on one of their own they're probably going to aren't they you know yeah yeah and yeah. so i get what you're saying sort of thing it is but it's, it's that like you said it's that it's that tonal shift it's just all over the shop um yeah. and you know that's the it's the ending of a kid's movie for me you know sort of oh everything's all right now yeah, well, he does go on to make a film about a monkey, so the procedures have been trounced, you know, people should be reprimanded. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, to the sunset. I, 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 I can hear the jack I boots can, already. Yeah, I can smell pig. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be told what to do by a fascist, Mark. <laughs> Take your fascist words. Uh, you've, you've triggered me. This is my yeah. safe. First, wow. they first they came for my farcical films, and I did nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Don't and he doesn't wear a helmet when he's on his motorbike, and that annoys me as well. Yeah, I I thought that as well. That annoyed me too. Really, really. Have to. What do you mean he doesn't have to? You'll be you'll be banning drinking next. <laughs> hey, don't Bring get me started. Right for my, you can cut this out, Paul. But I've bought an I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, anytime you I'm, say this, Pete, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm 41, so I've bought an MX-5, and I've bought an aftermarket steering wheel for it that's like wood and metal and stuff. <laughs> and then I find out that it's illegal to put it in because it won't pass its MOT because it hasn't got an airbag. Craziness. I could drive my car without an airbag if I want to. What do you think about that, John? I think... <laughs> Where's the strange? <laughs> <laughs> why why do doesn't think, why doesn't he have to wear a, a helmet? You don't in a well, John Bon Jovi. 
Well, you did yeah, in probably 1990s America. So you're not legally required to wear a helmet, is that what you're not, saying? No, th- 30 years ago you weren't, no. Uh, all right, to breathe and drink and eat but you do so yeah you can't tell them america i mean don't forget sort of thing we didn't actually have to wear seat belts in our yeah, car sort yeah, of thing yeah, until no, like 80, no. 80s 90s yeah click click don't forget the lot you won't remember yeah. this man. yeah yeah, yeah. Get, i mean i remember an instant mark i mean something I was in, I was in my dad's car when I was a, a young. You could, you, was, could, you could drive drunk back in the eighties. No one cared. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was a absolute madness yeah. free for all. But I, I remember this. I was playing when with. You could, uh, but you I, I was playing. I was playing with my X-wing in my dad's car, which isn't a euphemism. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we that's dark. <laughs> yeah, as long as it wasn't your Tie Fighter. <laughs> I mean, we, we went round. Um, or or went your Death to, Star. <laughs> if, if X-Wing is a euphemism for, for that, let's go to the he's doctor. Got his, he's got his Wookiee out again. His <laughs> Schumacher. Ah, straight face. But we went round uh, Nun's Corner and uh, the the door, the door popped open. You know, the, the, this was a sort of 70s era, late 70s era Ford Cortina. The door just popped open and I went sliding. My X-Wing went sliding out the door. <laughs> I was, I, me being a kid, you know, six or seven years old or whatever it was, and I sort of slid across to get my X-Wing, and I just headed towards the road. As a kid, I was no seatbelts, and my dad obviously didn't have a seatbelt on. This is, I remember um, him leaning around and sort of getting hold of me by the scruff of me, 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 me shirt, you know, by, by, by sort of my belt or something like that, and just dragging me back into the car. And that's what cars were like then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what cars were like? But John, but John Bon Jovi does say, Pete, that if you if you do, you know, if you put that wheel wheel in sort of thing, it's possible that you may go out in a blaze of glory. Uh, um, so um, yeah, but it's it, my life. Is that John Bon Jovi. It is five of glory. That's that's but, true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, as a fallout, round about that area, you'll remember this idea, the clunk, click, don't forget the law stickers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. When, yeah. The, when it, was, it became clunk, required clunk, to wear yeah. a seatbelt in the front of a car, which, and they, and my dad had one of those stuck on his, and, and it had Jimmy Savile on it, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was the face, he was the face of the road safety campaign for wearing your seatbelt in the front of a car, Jimmy Savile. Clunk, click every trip. Exactly, yeah. Even on the shortest trip. So when you when you're looking at America sort of thing, we have a much more bit more laissez-faire attitude to uh, road safety. No, they didn't. They didn't know sort of thing. Uh, him him wearing not wearing a helmet and riding off his bike was uh, yeah. I was like I, I did have a moment go oh he should be wearing a helmet, but I could yeah it wasn't it just wasn't the thing back then you know they just they didn't, I can't remember when helmets actually became mandatory. I don't know if they are. I don't know if they are in America. People yeah. do, well, mainly well because of the fly. how well it's turned out. Well, may- maybe they need respectable celebrities of the stature of Jimmy Savile to remind them of, of <laughs> you know, the need to wear seatbelts and helmets and, and, and that kind of thing. What would be it the American be, equivalent? Kevin Spacey. They all mysteriously die in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Manson, maybe. Ha- no, 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 no. It'd be Harvey Weinstein, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. wear your seatbelt, your, 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 your cycle helmet. Oh dear, let's let's move on because this is going down a dark alley. <laughs> yeah, a dark. This is going down a dark alley without a helmet on. <laughs> at some at some speed. 
This is like falling out of a moving car with the next week. Um, <laughs> yeah, so your Dark Star clenches. <laughs> Death Star, sorry, your Death Star. It was a nice run of podcasts while it lasted, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, cut that out, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, earlier when I said my name was Mark Call, it's, it's not. It's, oh no, John Bon Jovi. It is, yeah. <laughs> you say it, I'm an imposter. <laughs> right. He hasn't even got an American accent, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's, that's, why the impression, that's why the impression is so good. <laughs> people don't know that John Bon Jovi does not have an American accent and speaks like someone out of the clangers. Yeah, most people <laughs> from New Jersey don't. Joyzy. Joyzy. Right, Paul, wrap it up. Come on. I, th- I think, oh yeah, I think we should leave it there. I, I, I don't have any sort of final statements really, other than that line, which I mean, you know, whatever it means, it means something. Uh, we're counting on you, Mark. We're looking at you as being a young, a young one, because when we get out of the twenty, what are we in the twenty twenties now? Yeah. When we get out of the twenty twenties, the twenty tens are going to make the nineteen eighties look like the nineteen seventies, whatever that means. Yeah, well, they were all terrible decades. So it's and and next time we'll need to give you a primer. Oh yeah, we're doing we're doing primer next, aren't we? That, that was clever. That was it that was. was good. It was. If you do so, say for yourself. So we shall we shall say fare thee well. Yes. Thank yes. you very much. Bye you all. It's, good good it's but it's goodbye from him. And it's good for me. And it's good for flashbacks to this episode. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> what what have I done? <laughs> bye. Oh, bye. bye.